Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale November 9th, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. And you know what? Happy release week for Marvel Studios, Black Panther, Wakanda forever. And just joyous time to be a Marvel fan. There's a lot going on, a lot of good stuff. So if you're out there, if you're going to check out the big movie, Maybe go hit your local comic shop afterwards and pick up some books. Um, yeah. Also, this is the official Marvel Comics podcast. Make sure you rate, review, share the pod. Um, if you're listening right now, it's okay. You can pause. Give us a quick five-star rating. It'd be awesome. We appreciate it. It helps other people find the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because this is a, a big week, if you are a Black Panther fan, we have a really fun reading club, which we'll tell you about in a second. But we are going to run you through all the brand new Marvel comics available this week. Give you our three picks, the books that we stand hardest for. Then we're going to give out awards to all the other books. We're going to tell you what collections are on sale, what books are hitting Marvel Unlimited. There's some really cool stuff uh, hitting the service, both from recent releases to some older comics, as well as the Infinity Comics, our scrolling um, vertical comics. There's some really good stuff in there. Lots of really fun stuff. Plus the Reading Club. What's our Reading Club this week, Jasmine? Yes, we are talking to Kara Mahorn about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Not Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever, but a three-part Dora Milaje-centric story that, that takes place between three different tie-in issues. One Avengers book, one Spider-Man book, and the other is the X-Men book. But it's awesome. It is literally putting the Dora Milaje front and center. Um, so we'll be talking to her about that shortly. That was a fun conversation. Lots to talk about there. But let's just roll on in because we got a lot to cover this week. Start off with our picks of the week. And we're not really going in alphabetical order this week, but I'll go first with Sabretooth and the Exiles, number one. A book that surprised Jasmine seeing as, as my pick, but I was all in on this. It's written by Victor Laval, art by Leonard Kirk, colors by Rain Barreto, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And there was this is the sequel to the previous Sabretooth limited series that Victor and Leonard and the team worked on uh, that just wrapped up a month or two ago, uh, which was good, but it was very heady and there was a lot of like weird, gnarly, creepy stuff. This one takes Sabretooth and all the ancillary characters who are in it as sort of his quote unquote exiles team, gets them in the real world, gets them out doing some stuff, gets them in big danger. And it is, it's disgusting. It's horrifying. It's brutal. It's violent. It is fun. It is silly. It's got really cool, big ideas. It's got great action moments. There's a giant flying, you know, evil fortress, Sabretooth being like dissected and uh, a really nasty scientist. You've got just Sabretooth unleashed, which is where the character needs to be for me. The tone of it, just the scary sense of, oh, he's back is so good, so palpable. And on the same time, you've got this other story going on with the quote-unquote exiles characters, the others who were in the pit, the mutant prison, as it were, with him, and they've escaped. And so you've got Toad and Orphan Maker, Nanny, Third Eye, Madison Jeffries, Oya, Necra, and Melter. Uh, Madison Jeffries turning into a, a ship and then turning into a giant robot. Like There's just a level of fun to this while also bringing drama, action, horror it is it is what we want right it's a lot of very different things working 
all together in concert and it looks beautiful. Uh, every time Sabretooth is drawn, he's disgusting and scary and nasty. Leonard Kirk is born to draw a bloody Sabretooth. It is badass. I friggin' love this book so much. I also want to shout out the covers for this. The regular cover by Ryan Segman, J.P. Meyer, and Frank Martin is great. Love it. Ryan's a monster. But there's two great variant covers, one by Joshua Kassara and Dean White, which is just like, that should be a poster. That should be a Sabretooth poster, right? It's so mm-hmm. good. And then the Maria Wolf and Mike Spicer cover. Dude. Every cover that Maria does for us, I just... I, I love them so much. I actually got to meet her at oh, New York did? Comic-Con. Yeah. And she had, awesome. a, a, she had a table at Artist Alley. And I said to her, I was like, hi, you know, I'm so-and-so. I love your work. And she was like, oh my God, let me give you a hug. She came around and gave me a hug. Oh. She's like, I'm just so happy meeting everyone from Marvel. She's the nicest person, but she does some of the coolest, gnarliest work that we have going on. Some of my favorite covers every time she throws a, a variant in there. So please, if you like really rad variant covers... Go check it out, find it online, or go to your local comic shop when you're there this week and see if they have one because it rules. All right, next up we have Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number six, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Carmen Canero, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and colors by Nolan Woodard. This is like a Captain America book that is just firing on all cylinders. Like, this issue is nuts. Captain America finds out this like deep secret hidden cell. It's kind of like an Illuminati of sorts that's been kind of pulling the strings um, this entire time on the country on him. And and, like it goes deep. And at the end of issue five, we see Bucky kind of turning on Captain America and shoots him. But we get the result panel uh, at the top of this issue. We find out he's not dead necessarily because That would be a crazy way for Captain America to die. Only in issue six, right, guys? But what ends up happening, the fallout of that situation is this complicated conversation between Bucky and Captain America that I don't think we've seen since Civil War, really, where, you know, we get Captain America pretty much telling Bucky, like, you can't do this. Like, Bucky wants to go after these people. He wants to play the same game. And like with the big thing that Bucky says is like, I can go places that you can't go. I can do things that you can't do because I've already done them. And Captain America's like, well, I'm not gonna let you kill anybody. As much as that conversation is just like loaded with just these like fantastic one-liners, there is so much that's left unsaid in the rest of this issue because we get this extensive fighting sequence between the two. And it is just Carmen Canero just dunking on everybody. Like, look at look what I can do. Um, all the stuff that we saw in Black Widow is it's it's similar to some of that, but it's just like again, firing on all cylinders. She is fantastic. She's killing it. And all the things that are left unsaid during that conversation are just as palpable as like the stuff that we see at the beginning of this issue. Um, it is wild. I haven't felt this way since we we had some of the Winter Soldier vibes from Ed Brubaker's run on Captain America. Yeah. If you're a Bucky fan, you better be reading his damn book. And our third pick of the week is Fantastic Four, number one, the big new number one for Fantastic Four, a book we both very much wanted to talk about. This one, speaking of variant covers, like I was talking about a little bit ago, uh, this has the first work by Frank Miller for Marvel in years, decades, years, many, many years. It's a, a badass, cool Ben Grimm thing, variant cover. There's Alex Ross covers. This is chock full of great covers, which are wonderful. And that's great. But inside is a 
ding dang delight of a comic book. It's really fun. This is brought to us by writer Ryan North, art by Ivan Coelho, colors by Jesus Arbatov, and letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. There's a lot going on here, but it is also at the same time a very small story, which I really appreciate. You get a sense of like foreboding and horror and really creepy bits, but at the same time, it is fun. It is that lightness that you you get out of great Fantastic Four stories. There's also comedy in this because Ryan North is a damn great comedic writer. And Iban does these great facial reactions. He draws such a cool thing. He puts a lot of work into Ben's face and the way like this giant rocky visage can contort and move and emote. And it does such a great job. We're getting them in a very strange situation, but... The two of them are so perfect for each other. There's such a strong bond, such a strong level of trust and love that is inherent in who these characters are in the relationship that's been built over years and years and years. And Ryan takes that and uses that to the advantage of them working together like a unit, like a team. There's a way to to let these stories breathe. And I think Ryan and Yvonne do such a great job with that. And uh, yeah, it's a blast. I adore this issue. All right, it is time for our community section and our quote of the week section. First up, what was last week's quote, Jasmine? Yes, so last week was the, oh, it is so wet in there award. And it came from none other than the Merc with the Mouth, Deadpool, in Deadpool number one. Yeah, of which many of you all guessed uh, and, and found it, which was great. It was very fun <laughs> to see everybody commenting on it this week, including our winner, the first person to find it. Although we had like a bunch of you in quick succession. Yes. It was great. I had to like pull up the actual timestamps on tweet on tweets and emails because it was like at least three of them that came in like very close to each other. Yeah. Uh, so the winner, we're going with Mitch Krumputich who says, I'm still here. I've been a little bit behind for the last couple weeks, but I'm finally getting caught up on all my reading. Here's this week's quote from Deadpool number one. I also didn't realize Alyssa Wong was from Phoenix until reading the bio in this issue. So shout out Phoenix. Ryan, I really enjoyed listening to you on Across the Bifrost. It was cool to hear a little bit about your hardcore punk background. I'm a big fan of hardcore as well, and I recently discovered a band called Kind Eyes that I would highly recommend. Thanks for putting out great shows every week. Mitch, that is awesome. I am always up for new hardcore recommendations. Uh, My more recent band that I'm super into is Be Well, but like, I'm so out of touch with, with my origins, my scene. Um, So please, Mitch, keep them coming. I'm going to check out Kind Eyes after we finish this episode. Also, we got another email from Max Lorem who says, Hi, when I saw what this week's award was, I thought there was no way I could find something so common. But the way you talked about it, I wondered, Deadpool maybe? So it was the first comic I read and voila. So many possible quotes in this issue, by the way. Personally, I would have gone with, who makes the joke here? Side note, that was actually something that we talked about when we were coming up with the award this one this is good you're, you're onto something max uh, he continues by saying thank you also for the recommendation about across the bifrost i'm looking forward to hear you both as guests especially jasmine because death of the mighty thor is one of my favorite stories which makes me cry every time i read it same same max as recommendations go i just read the final girl support by grady hendrick it's a cool thriller especially for a fan of slasher movies um, since I know, Ryan, you recently watched all the Scream movies, I thought you might enjoy this novel. 
That's it for last week's award name. Ryan, are you ready for this week's award name? What is this week's award name? We are going to be giving out the Believe in Blood Award. If you find Believe in Blood in that panel, then you can find that quote, screen cap it, and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's Pull List or email us at PullList at Marvel.com. If you're the first, I may send you a DM, an email, who knows, and you get something fun out of it. All right. With Believe in Blood in mind, let's give that award out to a whole bunch of books. And I'll kick us off with the final issue of the big Axe Judgment Day saga. This is Axe Judgment Day Omega, number one, the sort of fallout issue where we see what's going on with many of the major players. A lot of this, rightfully so, focuses on the Eternals and how they are coming out of this. And a lot of big changes for the Eternals that uh, we'll see, I imagine, in the coming books. But I will give my Believe in Blood award to the scene inside the exclusion the sort of prison where uh, eternals are sent and you've got uh, uranus he's got basically infinity time with druig he's having a good time i'll say a that good time druig not so much but it mm-hmm. is a it is a very enjoyable scene all right next up we have amazing spider-man number 13 this book's also been on fire and as we ended the last issue we found out that there are two hobgoblins this issue makes it pretty clear how they're working together but also how efficient they are there's this entire fight sequence between spidey and the two hobgoblins that take place in the air and i have to give my believe in blood award to john ramita jr because there are two back-to-back pages where i could feel the pain through the pages because it comes so unexpectedly it comes by so fast and it's just the pacing that john ramita uses in the panels but also like the fact that he's going against two flying villains at the same time and like not knowing where they're coming from. Like what he manages to do here is very much expressive of what's going on in the situation. And I found it so chilling. All right. On to Avengers number 62. We are getting very close to Avengers Assemble, the big crossover that brings the uh, the various Avengers books together and Jason Aaron's big sort of final storyline. Um, and in this issue of Avengers, we see a big component that they need, which is Earth's first Sorcerer Supreme, Agamotto, and what he's getting up to. I love it. There's a lot of fun stuff in here, but I will give my Believe in Blood award to Ivan Fiorelli, drawing all the abs. Everybody's got amazing abs in this book. Look, Agamotto, he's just a sorcerer. He's got the sickest abs you've ever seen. Every single person is just ripped to shreds, and I, I love to see it. All right, next up, we have Black Panther Unconquered number one. It's a one shot um, that's written by Brian Hill. If you're not familiar, he had an amazing Killmonger series that we talked about on the show a couple months back. Highly recommend you go listen to that and read that book. But I mean, I think one of the first things that I I said to you, Ryan, when I first saw that he was writing another Black Panther book was like, we're getting more Black Panther from Brian Hill. Like, oh, my God, can't wait. And it didn't disappoint. Um, So good. I know. Brian Hill manages to bring T'Challa back to like the street level hero in Wakanda. And he faces off a new sort of like foe. Like this book is not that long. It's a one shot. And the amount of like mythology that he injects in this single one shot issue made me so hungry for more. I was devastated when I found out that like by the time I got to this issue and I was like, wait, there's no more. I need more. I need to give my... Believe in Blood Award 2, 
this fight sequence that is wild that involves T'Challa throwing a throwing star, but I love it so much because it shows his relationship with Shuri and how they work together because it is literally just two, three pages of him just like beating up this group of people. You learn by the end of it that he's going to put these guys down sooner, but he was using that to buy time so that he can communicate with Shuri to figure out what's going on here. And I thought that was a really creative way to like tell the story and still deliver some of that action without it just being pointless, you know? Yeah. All right, we've got Damage Control number four, the penultimate issue of this limited series. And I want to give my Believe in Blood award to the two-page spread. It's a montage of the main character we've been following along, all those who's trying to find a place in Damage Control, Gus. He is being introduced to a variety of villains who are giving him quote-unquote advice and discussions. And you got Modoc lounging at the pool with a little tiki drink. You've got Red Skull giving fashion advice. Uh, you've got Loki and Kingpin and, and Dr. Doom and a whole bunch of others. And Nathan Stockman draws the crap out of it. It's super fun with the characters on a glider sort of going from place to place that helps direct your eye. It is really clever and fun little sequence. All right. Next up, we have Ghost Rider number eight. And I'm giving my award to Ben Percy and Corey Smith for bringing Ghost Rider to Chicago, which is what happens in this issue, essentially, there's a small little road trip um, where they go to Chicago. I got so hyped, but by the end of it, I was like, no, keep it. I don't want him here. I, he, it's terrifying because the last page in this book, ugh, like all you get is a panel of Ghost Rider, of Johnny Blaze saying, run. And I've never wanted to sprint faster away from a comic book ever. Over to Legion of X number seven, which I loved the crap out of this book. I'm really digging it. This is Legion of X's sort of about the kind of cops-ish version of, of mutants in Krakoa, but they're really just trying to keep the peace, keep the spark, make people happy and excited about life and stuff like that. Uh, great cast that includes Juggernaut, Fabian Cortez, Nightcrawler, and Nightcrawler gets a little bit of a weird look in this one, but I am going to give my Believe in Blood award to the sequence where the, the team visits Mr. Sinister, and you have the back and forth between Mr. Sinister and Dr. Nemesis, particularly to the point where, as Nemesis has left the room, Sinister quietly to himself says, it's shameless the way we flirt. And it cracked it's up so good. Time. It's so good. It's just delicious. And that last line was just perfect. It could not oh, have been man. better. Cracked me up. All right, next up we have Marauders number eight, and this is part two of Here Comes Yesterday. Um, we got to meet some new mutants from a distant past. The Marauders are pretty much not even like debating whether or not to take action. They are going to take action, but I'm going to give my Believe in Blood award to the two opening pages of this book because they are steamy. And I can already see Steve Orlando like writing the script, handing it off to Eleonora Carlini, the artist on the book, and being like, have fun with it. I love it. They're all just, you know, chilling in some hot springs. It was great. We've got issue 17 of Moon Knight this week, which Jed McKay, the writer, keeps on crushing with Alessandro Capuccio on art. This book kills. It is fast. It is furious. It is badass. There's a motorcycle scene where Moon Knight is dragging somebody along by a chain. There's so much going on here, but I will give my Believe in Blood Award to which is kind of the whole issue, the battle between Moon Knight and the assassins who went after Hunter's Moon in the previous issue, Grand Mal and Nemean. Oh man, it's a 
knock down, drag them out. Do not mess with Moon Knight. And I Absolutely. love it. I love it so much. All right. Next up, we have Spider-Man number two. That's adjective list Spider-Man by Tan Slot and Mark Bagley. As soon as I opened up this issue, I was like, oh, we're back in like Dan's Spider-Man world because he's having so much fun on this book. In the first couple of pages, we meet a very familiar Spider-Man. Some might say that your Peter Tingle might be tingling um, when you spot him, but he nails the writing in the different voices of all these different Spider-Men, Spider-People. And the thing that I loved about this issue is, you know, we got the first issue where there was a lot of Spider-Verse stuff introduced, but not to the extent of this. Like, And it comes together in a particular universe called Earth 616 Beta, which I thought was a very interesting little universe, pocket universe, um, that I hope we get to learn more about. But I want to give my Believe in Blood award to the sequence where we finally get all the spiders from those five Edge of Spider-Verse titles, um, or at least a handful of them. We get some of them in a room together with our, you know, chosen one, Peter Parker from 616. And in particular, I want to give it to Spinstress for just going full musical. Like she, she's like, oh, welcome friends. And then continues to go into a full singing montage of like everything that's been happening. It's wonderful. I love this new crop of spiders. And I can't wait to see what shenanigans to get into. All right. We've got another spider book this week with Spider-Man, the lost hunt. Number one, this one is sort of a, you can look at it as a contemporary partner book to the previous Ben Riley Spider-Man book that writer JM DeMatteis did uh, earlier this year. It works really well alongside that. It's also a great sequel to Spider-Man Craven's last hunt, the uh, legendary story by JM DeMatteis and crew. Um, so there's a lot going for it here. It really focuses on the aftermath of what happened in that very important Craven story. All that said, it's cool. It's creepy. It's weird stuff. I want to give my Believe in Blood award to artist Ader Messias. Um, I, if I am butchering their name, I apologize. They're a very relatively new uh, artist out of Brazil, uh, Sal Vicente Brazil, who I believe this is their first work for us crushing it there's little vibes of ramon rosanas in here there's some really cool um dark and moody stuff that is done big action um with a, a, a like i think watching looking at this issue i could see a big really great career ahead for eater so um they get my award heck yeah all right next up we have star wars the high republic and this book essentially follows the uh the adventures of jedi knight vildar mac um, on Pilgrim Moon with his Padawan, Matea Kathy, um, as they are essentially investigating a disappearance of this like religious art piece. And there's this one sequence. I mean, like I know who I'm going to give my award to, but it, there's a little bit of a setup to it because they're as they like are trying to define this place, they they walk into like this like club looking like these giant club looking doors. And right before they go in, Vildar is like, He's just been talking a big game the entire time. He's like, I don't need anything. I don't need respect. I only need the force. And as soon as you open the door, you get a page turn moment where you just see these two hulking purple aliens that are just like going somewhere. And like, you're just like, who are these people? Like, I can't wait. And then we find out they are the recipients of my Believe in Blood Award. The Twinkle Sisters could not be better named. They are the best bouncers this side of Seer Rattle, but they do get a little punctilious from time to time. I love them. I want to see more of them. Mm -hmm. 
All right, we got Venom number 13 this week. This is a great one. Could have been one of my picks of the week. It's you got some really gnarly stuff with Eddie and Eddie and Eddie and Eddie because Eddie is all the things in this issue. But I want to give my Believe in Blood award to what happens when uh, Venom goes to limbo. And there's just it's funny. It's weird. It's dark. It is. It's it's just bananas. Um Brian Hitch is drawing the crap out of it. And this is cool because this is also a little bit of a lead in to Dark Web, the big Spidey X-Men crossover that is coming very soon. All right. Next up, we have Wolverine number 27. And this thing is spicy. There's so much stuff going on in the world of Krakoa post Judgment Day. And one of the things is Beast is pretty much just like, all right, cool. Our secret is blown. Everybody knows about Mutant Resurrection, so why should we hide? Why should X-Force hide? And we learn a lot about Beast in in this issue, Um, and what he does to Wolverine is absolutely unforgivable, but we kind of have seen some of this coming already. He's been cooking up something, and uh, I'm going to give my Believe in Blood award to the conversation that Beast has with Wolverine when he essentially wins the auction and pretty much tells Wolverine, sorry, bud, I'm going to have to do some very bad things to you. Oof. All right. Last new book of the week is X-Men Legends number four. This is the second of the two-parter by Anacenti and Javier Pina, and it rules so much. It is a blast. It is absolutely ridiculous. It is silly, over-the-top bananas, but I want to give my Believe in Blood award to mojo just because mojo is is the mojo i love the way uh and writes mojo some really funny one-liners and then spiral and major domo around mojo so fun everybody is so sassy and biting at each other but then javier pina just good lord born to draw these characters born to draw mojo wow wow and wow. spiral his artwork is just gorgeous that's it for our fabulous fresh floppies this week But over in collections, we have a bunch of stuff hitting shelves. We have Black Panther by John Ridley, Volume 2, Range Wars, which highly recommend. And then we have Captain Carter, Woman at a Time, which also highly recommend. We have The Last of Fantastic Four by Dan Slott, Volume 11, Reckoning War Part 2, and New Mutants by Vita Ayala, Volume 3. A lot of good stuff there. A lot of good stuff also on Marvel Unlimited. We'll hit our Infinity Comics first in X-Men Unlimited number 60. We've got a an issue by Torin Grumbeck and Philip Sevi. We've got Hope Summers and Danny Moonstar and some really cool stuff. And it's by Torin. So we are very excited for that. Over in Avengers Unlimited Infinity Comic, we've got a story by Tochi Anyabuchi and Ray Anthony Height, which is going to be dope Ooh. because it's got Black Panther and it's got Tiger Shark. Maybe we'll see some Namor. Who knows? Feels like it's the right time for all that. In Spider-Verse Unlimited, issue number 23 this week, we've got a new story with the White Rabbit trying to get Spidey's attention by Alexandra Walker and Zay Carlos. Then we've also got issues of Electric Rain, Marvel's Voices, Nova, Love Unlimited, X-Loves of Wolverine, and the final part of the greatest epic of all time, Ziggy Pig and Silly Seal. Man, what a week for Marvel Unlimited's Infinity Comics. Yeah, so much hidden Marvel Unlimited. We also have a bunch of new digital comics hitting Marvel Unlimited. We have Demon Wars, The Iron Samurai, number one, Edge of Spider-Verse, number one, uh, Immortal 
X-Men number five. We also have Moon Knight 14, X-Men 92, House of 92, issue number three, and X-Men Red number five. And then a really fun information that we got. There's a whole bunch of 80s and 90s Predator comics that are coming, uh, that are being added to various services. So you've got Predator, Predator, Bad Blood, Big Game, Cold War, Dark River, Kindred, and more. I, I've read a couple of these over the years, but to get them in one place is a true triple D, a ding, dang, delight. And all right, with that said, let's get into our reading club. Jasmine, once again, remind us what we're doing. We are talking to Kara Mahorn about Black Panther Wakanda Forever, not Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever, but a three-part story that takes place between three different books in Amazing Spider-Man, X-Men, and in Avengers. So... It's a great three-parter story that stars the Dora Milaje uh, front and center, which is awesome. All right, let's get into it right now. All right, Ryan, I'm going to kick us off on this one because I am so excited to talk to our guest this week, Kara Mahorn, about not only... Wakanda Forever, a short limited series uh, around the Dora Milaje, but also her her new book, which is called The Black Panther, The, the Protectors of Wakanda, um, which is essentially a Dora Milaje like handbook. Like if you were to be an initial, like an actual Dora Milaje in training, you would get this book handed to you and it, and it gives you all the like the fun tidbits and Easter eggs. And like Karima has been a guest on our The History of Marvel Comics Black Panther podcast where we got to talk about the history of Black Panther. And I wish I had this book before uh, we recorded that because there were so many little Easter eggs in here and so many things about the inner workings of the Dora Milaje. And I'm just going to like get her to jump in here because I'm so excited to talk to her. Karima, welcome. Hi, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here to talk to both of you. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, Ryan. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to get into the door a whole bunch. Um, we're going to get into some really great stuff. The thing that was I was looking at when um, the these Wakanda Forever issues came out, because it's an interesting thing for anybody who wants to read along with us on Marvel Unlimited. I'm going to try and get it, make it a little bit easier for you because um, they are three one shots, but they are a one mm -hmm. connected story. So in Marvel Unlimited, they're not grouped together. You can also check the show notes. We'll have them each hyperlinked. Thank you. These came out June, July, and August of 2018, and the first issue, which was Amazing Spider-Man Wakanda Forever, came out June 27, 2018, right alongside the second issue of uh, Black Panther by ta Coates of the second story, like the, the big overall uh, intergalactic empire of mm -hmm. Wakanda storyline, which was um, ta Coates and Daniel Cunha, and you know, so you we've had at that point that first amazing run of Black Panther and reestablishing the Dora and so many things that have been going on, um, and, but really also changing some status quo stuff right before this. Not to mention like World of Wakanda, where we got, you know, some of the, the one shot stories from other characters within Wakanda that aren't necessarily, you know, the Black Panther and the royal family. Yeah. And this series was actually inspired me a lot when Marvel asked me to write Protectors of Wakanda, History and Training of the Dora Milaje. I was really excited. And then I was also kind of terrified <laughs> because I was like, okay, 
but wait, where is this history of them? There hasn't been anybody to put right. together this history of these women sort of sequentially. They're always there when T'Challa or T'Chaka are there. They're always in Wakanda, but we've never seen sort of like, how does one become a Dora? Mm-hmm. What do they do when they're not in Wakanda? And so it's really interesting. I was I knew I was going to go back to this comic because that's what the Dora are doing. Like mm-hmm. they're in New York. They're not in Wakanda, but there's protocol that they have and there's things that they're doing that still relate back to their training. And I just found this series in particular to be integral into some of the research that I was doing to create my book. And I also, like Ryan said, it was a bit of a hunt because they're all one shots, even Mm -hmm. though technically they're a series. Uh, Marvel loves their number ones. And so, (laughs) and so there was a lot of number ones, but what was interesting about it is when you read them all, if you do get them and you do get a chance to read them sequentially, it's a very interesting arc. And Nettie Okorafor, who was the main author for all of them, uh, also puts one one of the characters that I think uh, in Black Panther that's always been kind of, didn't always get her due, Nakia. Yeah, she puts her to rest in a very positive way. She's always been like, oh, she's just crazy. Yeah, I know. know? (laughs) And and like, so it's something that I wanted to talk about Mm -hmm. um, because you know, going through I, for the history of the Black Panther podcast, I had to read every single issue of Black Panther, um, all the runs, a bunch of the different like appearances where he was in. Um, and that was one of the things like I loved Christopher Priest's run on Black Panther, but that was always something that like just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth where it's like, OK, like, can we get a little bit more on her as a character? Not just like you said, like treating her as like a, a crazy woman and her character is so rich and. I was very sad that we never got to go back to that. But then when I got to this series, I was like, oh, why haven't we like talked about this more? Like I was very shocked and very like grateful that they like, you know, that Nettie actually, like you said, put Nakia to rest. Um, I mean, I wish she was still alive, but spoiler alert, but I'm glad that she explored that story. The thing I like about Nettie's work in the Wakanda universe here her work on uh shuri her work on black panther long Long live the king is she talks a lot about people who are not Mm t'challa she talks about you know the mute zone she talks about people who don't always agree she talks about and i'm not discounting anything you know right a shout out to roxanne gay for you know world of wakanda and all the work that you know she and her team did but Nettie sort of got into the nitty gritty of Wakanda as an African nation. And that was something I was also able to tap into. And I love how she deals with Mimic 27, which is specifically a vibranium that is very specific to the Dora Milaje story. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, looking at the Dora as they're moving through, like, we've got to get Nakia. We've got to get her to calm down. We've also got to get this vibranium back. Mm-hmm. And we also have to deal with the collateral damage right. that she's wreaking on everybody. And so it starts in Spider-Man, like Ryan said, and then X-Men. And then we bring it back. And even and T'Challa does make an appearance, you know. They are all, like, 
the Dora Milaje in an Amazing Spider-Man comic, one in like the X-Men comic, and the last one's in the Avengers comic. And like you said, T'Challa makes an appearance, but like even though they are like not the book title characters, like they are the center character, and like there are multiple moments. Like I like the first issue with Amazing Spider-Man was something that was very refreshing to me because he like takes the back seat and he's just like, all right, like you guys clearly know what to do here. You know what's going on. Like you just tell me what you need to need to help with like to the point where like at the end of the story the door are like oh we gotta go and spider-man's like okay cool like you guys go i'll just make sure that the like the authorities pick up hydro man down here in this bubble that you guys made me like you guys do what you gotta do and like even t'challa like he doesn't really ever suit up and like fight like it's right he, he lets them do their work and it's like yes these girls are the like the, the main characters like this is their story I think the other thing that's also fantastic about a lot of the way this comic or this run deals with Wakandans are they are always Wakandan wherever they go. Mm-hmm. And so I love the X-Men storyline that's woven in when they have to use Kurt to sort of portal back to the cave in Wakanda. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, how does this all work? What do we do? What do I do? She's like, I just need you to stay here and hold this piece like don't let anybody <laughs> touch it don't let anybody touch yeah. it because we're all screwed we can't get back this is kind of a doorway and if you let go this close to the door yes. and that's a problem you got one job kurt i'm rooting for you you know okoye is like <laughs> and but i love how then we're back into the culture of wakanda in the cave talking about how that because of this sentient vibranium your mindset needs to be in a particular place in order to be able to fight it or work with it. Yes. And I just found that to be fantastic. And also one of the things that I definitely wanted to include in the book, we always talk about them being fighters and warriors, but what about that is mental, Mm -hmm. you know, the mental capacity of meditation and being able to work with this type of vibranium. We kind of always look at the people with powers, but a lot of the, Marvel characters that fascinate me are the ones that don't necessarily have powers like Tony Stark and like Riri Williams, but people who get to use the technology and the things around them like Shuri to create something really special. And so I was, I was excited to explore that and how that's woven into the culture of Wakanda. Yeah. To that point, it also makes those characters really more fascinating and interesting as heroes because they don't have the same powers. Maybe they have some technology or whatever and great training, but they are still rushing headlong and fighting Dr. Doom. They are protecting, you know, the, the lands and the world from, from any number of, you know, horrible, horrible nightmare things. So that like that level of heroism is really interesting to, to think about, explore and figure out, how did they get to that point where they can stand up and go, okay, that thing is a nightmare. And I have like a bunch of vibranium and some great training and my sister's with me. Let's do this. That's intense. Yeah, it is. And, and I, and there's a level of respect there because storm is in that second issue and Mm -hmm. she could have ended this all very quickly by basically taking all the oxygen out of her lungs and like problem solved. You know what I mean? But she didn't do that. She was like, listen, let the sisters handle what they got. Let's just work on saving New York while right. they're doing that. <laughs> Christopher Priest really not only introduced the Dora Milaje, but it introduced the nuance. One of the things that I loved about that, and I loved about your book too, because you, you hid an Easter egg in it about it, but Queen Divine Justice is a character who is a, a, a Dora Milaje, essentially. 
but wasn't in Wakanda. She was like safeguarded in Chicago with her yeah, grandma. She was here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ends up being another Dora Milaje like guard. And it introduced a little bit of nuance to this idea of like what the Dora Milaje are. Like, is it a choice? Is it something that you have to do? Is it like something you inherit? Something that you are like obliged to do? And like she really challenges it, but not to the extent that like Nakia does. And both of those storylines kind of just never really got put to rest. And like your book and uh, this this three issue arc, um, which if you you can't you can find it on Marvel Limited. I meant to say this earlier. You can find it on Marvel Limited, but also it's collected in a trade. So if you want all three issues together, highly recommend you track down that trade. The thing that I liked was it, it opened up what the rules were to the Dora Milaje. Like yes, they are in theory like potential brides for the king of Wakanda, but that's not the priority here. Like there is a lot more honor to this path. There's also training involved. It's not like you just become a Dora Milaje and you have to deal with it. Like there's a lot of rigorous training. There's a lot of different tiers to it, you know, different jobs within it. It opens up the idea of like what a Wakandan can be and like not that everything is so monolithic or like just. Well, I I think one thing and going back to the Christopher Priest run you were talking about, one thing that I was also fascinated by in my research was voices. Who's telling the story? Mm -hmm. So Ta-Nehisi Coates run, Black Panther's telling the story, T'Challa's telling the story, but so is is Shuri. And also so so is Ramonda. But when you look at Christopher Priest's run, he told the story through Everett Ross' eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. Someone mm-hmm. was like, well, how are you going to not make them children? I'm like, well, they weren't children in Christopher Priest's run. Ever, Everett Ross thought they were. Mm-hmm. They were in their early 20s. And someone said, well, how are you going to prove that? I'm like, you've never met a black woman that doesn't look her age? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing to explain. He just didn't know what he was looking at. Yeah. So, And then it was very important to tell the story from Dora's point of view. Yes. Because we'd only heard all of these stories from... You know, the, not just a male point of view, but for other people. And so um, a lot of the things that you were talking about, like their training, like, yeah, they might go into the school at 13, but they're not coming out until they're 20. Right. Like, you don't just get recruited and then they throw you in the field. That's yeah. not how it works. And um, one of the things that you mentioned about Asura, you know, Queen Divine Justice, when I had read that run years ago, I remember flipping through the comic and flipping back going, there's a royal Wakandan that was tasked for taking care of this child? Yeah. That's Adora. Like, she was always Adora to me, but they never said it. And so that was one of the things that I was able to make canon in my book. And I I was, like, waiting for Marvel to make that say, like, I couldn't do it. And they were like, oh, no, that's fine. And I was like, okay. You know, and I was really excited about that. And then also a lot of the layers of different people, like, even though the book is a manual, it is supposed to be passed down from elder Dora to younger Dora. So once you graduate, you take your collected tome and you give it to a younger Dora that is just starting her journey. And there is a page that I, what you know, when you're writing a book, a lot of stuff has to get edited out. And there's one thing that got edited out that I hope if we ever get a deluxe edition, I can put in. But in my mind, the book is found at the end of that Coates' run, when the war has ended, all versions of Killmonger <laughs> are are gone, finally. And Until they're not. Right, until they're not. Until, um, and then we also have 
all of these people. Now we have Wakanda Prime and now we have the intergalactic Wakanda. Right. So you've got immigrants from not just outside the country, from other universes. And the school has not been open since the death of the headmistress, which happened in World of Wakanda. So, and the book was found. Like one mm-hmm. of the Dora, uh, Dora who had passed on had saved it and Okoye finds it and it is her impetus to like, okay, we have to start this school again. Mm-hmm. We are naming a new headmistress and I want all of the existing Dora to annotate this one so we can start this process again. And that was, it didn't make it in the book, but that was sort of my mindset when I, I was that, creating it. And yeah. it's just, I think it's very important when we hear stories to know who's telling the story. One of the things that I was very fascinated was when you showed the lineage of the Black Panther, I literally have it opened right now up to the chapter where you're talking about Nahanda the Wise. And it that it's like a short paragraph. It's the most Game of Thronesy like paragraph in the entire book. And I mean that with like, you know, like I love Game of Thrones and I, I mean it as much as a compliment. And the minute I read this paragraph, I was like, I, I need this book. Like I need, I want, I want to know what happened here because like you said, the thing that's the most important is who's telling the story. And if it's, if it's written by someone who's not that person who did the thing, like you can interpret it in so many different ways. Like if you're the outsider, like Everett K. Ross in Christopher Priest's run, you can interpret things in a way that makes sense to you, but not necessarily what it actually is. It's a, it's a cultural thing, but when I read the line in your book where, where it talks about her building the door of Milaje, I was like, I can I can already see this be like, of course, someone's going to have an issue with a, a female Black Panther um, or a queen. And the way that she gains the the throne isn't necessarily mm-hmm. like a traditional way. Like even when she hands down, like she hands down the, the title. Yeah, it's which ritual I was, combat. It's yeah. ritual combat, but she was very clear as to who she wanted her successor to be. Yes. And so she kind of like, yeah, all right, I'll fight you here. Tap, tap. You won. Right. Yeah, and then you see later, and I don't want to give this away because I want people to read the book, but then you see later, there's somebody else who decides like, yeah, that's not what we're doing. We're going to make everybody a wife. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's like... And and then, and that will lead you into Chris, what Christopher Priest was trying to say in his mm-hmm. run. And that was basically what I was doing. It's just a lot of pulling threads from different storylines and different people that were named. It's an interesting thing because these issues came out in the summer of 2018 the first Marvel Studios Black Panther film comes out in February of 2018, so we're like six plus months after, like the like the it, the movie takes over the world essentially and exposes. It was still a, in theaters. It was. Still you were right. You're right. It was still in theaters, <laughs> and it was still like people captivated. So they're learning about all these characters, and then as we talked about, Nakia has you know is such a va- vastly different character than like the larger world is uh, exposed to, but. It is, as you mentioned, such a great way to give her uh, some closure and put an end to it and and show some of that that backstory and different things here. And I also there's one moment in the book that I absolutely like cracked up at is when the the Dora go sightseeing around New York City. Oh, my God. I love that. I loved it. My only thing was. Would they really bring their weapons with them in full, like full length spear mode? They wouldn't. And that's the part. That's something I addressed in my book. I'm like, there are weapons and there are ways of hiding them. And yeah. there's ways of making them smaller. And there's things like that. I was like, she wouldn't be on 42nd and 5th, you know, 42nd <laughs> oh, and 9th. Are you kidding with me? That- 
I'd be like, they I, would think like, she's what you, cosplaying. Yeah. What What is someone gonna do to her? Nothing. Like I, I like. I did like that they were wearing trench coats though. Like that was funny yeah. over their like Dora gear, and I'm like, and I, and what's really funny is it, but it wasn't out then. I don't think, but there's cloaking tech mm-hmm. for that they could look like anything. So I was yeah. like, y'all just wanted to look like this on purpose yes. today. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I love that montage sequence, and I love. I can't remember which one of the Dora says it, but they're like looking at the Empire State Building or like looking at like the skyline of New York City and then she's like oh like these Americans think that their buildings are so tall like oh how yeah. cute <laughs> yeah it was very much like oh we had something like that about a hundred yeah. years ago <laughs> that's, that's cute. so cute like, talk to me when you have like buildings that are floating and exactly yeah I want to go back to the Nokia stuff because one of the things that I love about the Dora is that I think differentiates them a lot from other types of like military stories or like war stories is that there's a lot more empathy in the Dora. And when we get to the last issue of this arc, we see it. Like, it's not like they don't go in just guns a blazing. Like they're very tactical, but at the same time, they know that Nakia is their sister. And like, they're not like, Oh, she's just evil or she's just crazy. Like there's gotta be more to this. Like she touched the. Oh, the mimic, mimic 27. And, and because it's also, because Mimic 27 can't exist on its own. It has to be imbued into something. Right. She has a sacred drum that is imbued in it. And that is a very African thing to imbue an item with mm-hmm. a spirit or a or an item that belonged to someone that was living. So I think that way that they're trying to lay her to rest and the way that they're trying to bring her down before that happens, they know that once they she's been connected to this entity for so long that it's actually been putting at bay an illness that she already had exactly and they know when they separate her from it she'll probably die but it's very very important if you notice for them to make sure that her spirit and that her like her mind are at rest before she makes that transition right because they believe in the spirit world right you know they understand what happens in jalia and things like that yeah, and it's something that like I love that Nettie like tackled and incorporated in the story because it could have easily just been like, all right, we got to take Nakia down or like we need to go get this drum and we're going to get it at, at any cost. And it's like, no, it's like you said, it's imbued onto Nakia, like separating the two is going to be tragic. And before they do that, like they know the complicated history and like they treat her like a human being, which I think is something that yeah. is refreshing in a story like this. I like also that there's emotion in it, though, because mm-hmm. they're also like they're pissed and they're like yes. angry with her. And they uh, but as the story goes on, they there's that sense of like understanding forgiveness. Like there is a real uh, breath of emotions. There's an emotional arc for these characters throughout this story, which is is very important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Annika's not having it. Annika's like, can she just go? Why are we doing that? That is my favorite. <laughs> Like I love her because she's just thinking, she's like she's saying what everyone else is thinking, and it's just like, yeah, I know, but we gotta. She's our sister. We gotta take care of. Her. And and also, there's also that chain of command. Akoya's like, I'm really not here for your feelings. Yeah. yeah, this is what we're doing. The Dora, I think, were so well represented in this series. These issues are some underrated gems. I yes, think. the thing I found about them too, because I read them when they came out, and I remember rereading them for the Black Panther podcast. But like reading it again after one after reading your book. It was just, I found it very easy to to get into. Like, sometimes I feel like the Wakanda, like, politics or, like, the hierarchy and all that. Like, when you're reading ta Coates's run, it's dense. 
It's very dense. And it takes a lot to like, you might have to reread things. You might have to, you know, go back and like draw a map or like a family tree or something to kind of make sense of everything. This I found very straightforward. And I think that that's sometimes like necessary for like the general audience to be able to approach something like this. And I appreciate that. I still have a wall with red string all over it, trying to figure out where everybody is. <laughs> Look, but- <laughs> I had to I had to do the same thing for the history of Black Panther podcast. Like there is so many like that timeline is wild to me. Um, and so, but it really means a lot to me to hear you say that because my goal, also because it's technically a YA book, was to make it very approachable for people that might not have known the comics and but for people who are comic book readers i also wanted to give like you said some of those easter eggs some of those little small things in there that you might you um, brought up queen divine justice and that was enough for me to like just immediately (laughs) fall in love with the book i'm like yes she's my favorite let's not forget about her she's chicagoan like love her um and i was also able to create two characters one is pretty prominent the other one is in in the margins and and I also think there's something you said earlier, Jasmine, that I think is also really important. A lot of Black Panther's story and history in the comics isn't just in Black Panther titled comics. Mm-hmm. He was introduced to Fantastic Four and he weaves in and out of Avengers. And, you know, so when you're looking at this history, you're really looking at this, you know, he's also been woven in and out of, you know, obviously X-Men stories. So it it was just such an interesting deep dive. And then I had to just cap it somewhere. Because I was like, you know, oh. I was, my my book was, even though it's kind of out now at the same time as Jonathan Ridley's, I did not have any, was not privy to anything he was doing. I wasn't privy to a lot of, I mean, there's so many other books that came out this year, Akoye to the People and things like that. Um, I really like, uh, I tell people all the time, please buy my book, but also uh, please buy Evan Narciss's uh, Wakandan Atlas. And it's so funny because each of us, I was like, I wish I had your book when I was writing mine. Same. Because I was like, and I known, you know, and I didn't know I could use the dinosaurs, you know, things like that. That's what's exciting about playing in this Marvel playground. There's been years and years and years of history and storytelling. And I'm just excited that I was able to add to the canon. Um, and in, and I was inspired by like the, Comics that we just talked about today, Nadia Corfor's comics. I hope somebody's inspired to write some comics based on my book. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to read those. Well, I think there's one person who's going to be inspired because I have a copy coming uh, to my house, and I am going to make sure that this little lady. It's amazing. It's having that this kind of stuff for her readily for her when she's ready for it you know it's she she knows black panther because he's in the spidey and his amazing friends cartoon we i opened up a storm action figure the other day with her from the animated series and she's like i don't know i was like look she shoots lightning out of her hands she's like okay she's kind of cool but she's never really seen storm i was like and i pulled up my phone and i played her some uh animated stuff and she's like oh wow and i was like oh yes see dad of the year Yes. <laughs> the next generation. Before you know is... it, she'll be cosplaying as Storm or the Dora Milaje. But you know what? I really was thinking of younger kids when I was also writing the book because there's some just general tenets. And I've actually had a couple parents go, you know what? I This is good. Like, I can use this when we're having conversations about, like, life and dealing with difficult people and how to, like, not always fight. There's other ways of solving things, you know? And that was what was also very important to me, too, making sure that 
you know, we're all adults here and we all talk about all the comics that we've been reading since we were kids, but there's a whole other generation mm-hmm. that their introduction to Black Panther might be the movie in 2018. You know, and they're now just looking for stories and looking for comics and looking for books to read. And that is also what makes me excited. All of the questions that I'd had in my research, I got a lot of them I got to answer in this book. And I'm so excited that everybody's been um, having such a good time reading it. And I and I appreciate you all letting me talk about it. Oh, anytime. Camera, what is the name of that book again? It is Black Panther's Protectors of Wakanda, History and Training of the Dora Milaje. Yes, and it is out now. So make sure you go get a copy. Besides the book, like where can people find you? You can find me, The Blurred Girl, T-H-E-B-L-E-R-D-G-U-R-L, all over the internet. And I currently have a podcast called Pop Paranormal that's all about horror movies uh, that you can check out over on uh, Travel Channel. And um, I have... I can't talk about it yet, but I have something coming soon from PBS that I'm very, very excited about. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Big thanks to Caraman. Once again, go pick up Marvel's Black Panther Protectors of Wakanda, a history and training manual of the Dora Milaje. It is really freaking cool. I was talking with other uh, creators of other Black Panther books that are on sale right now, non-comic books, and they were—they literally also had copies of the book that they were it's referencing so and looking at, and it just, man, good, good stuff. Yeah, highly recommend to anyone who's a Black Panther fan, but also if you're a comic book fan, because it adds so much more context to the world of Wakanda. For sure. All right, that wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Kara McGurk-Allison. Brad Barton is Polis Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. And Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your Universe.